the vibes welcome back to another episode of the hoop genius podcast brought to you by nba 2k 23 if you don't already have a copy don't know what you've been waiting for but make sure you hit the link in the description to get your copy of nba 2k 23 bj and i are back to talk more basketball bj you ready Oh, stay ready, Mo. Stay ready. Stay ready. Stay ready. Well, you know, the trade deadline is creeping up on us. It's the 1st of February today as we record this. And that means, you know, there's about two weeks left until the deadline. And a lot of teams are waiting to see the moves of the Toronto Raptors because they've got Scotty Barnes, but they've also got some older players, the Fred Van Fleets of the world and the Siakams of the world who were there on their championship team. And OG Ananobi is another player who's wholly in the trade rumors right now. And a lot of teams are waiting to see what the Raptors do before making their moves because a lot of players want to get, you know, OG or maybe Pascal, maybe Fred, maybe even Gavin Trent Jr. So I want to talk to you about OG because every year we talk about most improved and every year I want to pick OG, you know, from the from the London route, slightly mm-hmm. biased, but also I think that he's a fantastic player and that he has a lot of potential. Now, there was a rumor a few weeks ago that a team had offered three first round picks in exchange for OG and no one knew who the team was. And then rumors came out that it might have actually been the New York Knicks. My question to you, Mr. Armstrong, is where do you see OG Ananobi ending up? Because there are reports that he is unhappy in Toronto. Is there a team you would like to see him on before the trade deadline? Well, I think the team's probably probably that will be most interested in him will be contending teams, you know, for example, the Memphis Grizzlies, the, yeah, the Memphis Grizzlies. I think the Milwaukee Bucks, I think the Boston Celtics, I think Philadelphia 76ers. I think th- teams that really feel they have a serious possibility, you know, to win the championship this year will, will, inquire about him he's a very valuable player um, because of his ability to defend highly coveted position which every team is always looking for six 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 seven six eight guys who can defend on the perimeter those twos and threes so i think a lot of teams i think the phoenix suns will be a team uh, that will possibly be a destination for him uh, because of his ability to the things that we just you know and i just mentioned also i think the Suns have a player that probably resembles him in Jay Crowder. So I would look for, you know, the Toronto Raptors to possibly move him for a player like that in a three-way deal. You know, I don't think they, I don't think they talking about the Toronto Raptors would necessarily want to sign and trade or trade and then sign him Jay Crowder at his age. Um, if they decide to begin to break up that team and and, and restart or, you know, yeah. retool, as we like to say here. I think uh, Jay Crowder is an okay comparison. I think he's more similar to Mikael Bridges, who they already have over there in Phoenix. I think OG is a better player than some people give him credit for. You mentioned how good he is on defense. He was a defensive player of the year candidate this season, I believe, with what he's been doing on that end of the ball. On offense, he's improved his handles and his ability to score off the dribble. He's made over 38% of his threes over the last four years. He's only 25 years old. And um, the reason why Toronto allegedly want to get rid of OG is they do want to get out of paying him after next season as he may command a significant payday. And some people say he's got a long injury history. However, when I look at it, OG Ananobi, I see very strong vibes of a Drew Holiday. Remember the trade of Drew Holiday from New Orleans over to Milwaukee? 
because people said Drew Holiday had an injury history, but he was a great defender and he could do a few other things on the offensive side of the ball. I think, as you rightly said, a contending team could definitely do with OG. He would be a nice third option in a big three on a championship level team. But I mentioned the Knicks and the reports going around. I want to know what your thoughts are on this deal of OG Ananobi heading to Madison Square Garden because that makes them a tough team. You know, you've got Brunson, you've got Barrett, you've got OG, you've got Randall, you've got Mitchell Robinson. In exchange for Emmanuel Quickly, Cam Reddish, Derek Rose, and at least two first-round picks. Now, for Toronto, uh, Emmanuel Quickly is obviously a very young, exciting player that they can look to build a relationship between him and Scott Barnes. Cam Reddish is a project with a lot of potential who hasn't really had a chance in the league. Derek Rose, obviously, for the salary, and he could even get moved on to a contending team where I believe he could contribute even more rather than the rebuilding Raptors. But would you like to see OG on the Knicks? Um, You know, I was just listening to the trade. I, I you know, maybe that happens. Um, I, I don't cons. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I could see that happening. Other than you're going into now a full retool or you know, yeah, rebuild slash rebuild situation. Rebuild situation. I, I, I don't anticipate that happening. You know, the, I think the most valuable part of that trade would be the the draft picks, uh, which would place them Philly in and would 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 place the Toronto Raptors in a full out rebuild. Yeah. I would imagine or think if they were to get, you know, that trade. Okay. Let's say they were to, you know, consider that trade, both teams, Mm -hmm. the Toronto Raptors to me, without question would ask for RJ Baird back. Being a Canadian player. That would, because now if you have RJ, OG. Well, OG would be in Brunson, And RJ would be in Toronto. Yeah, OG, no, no, no. But but your initial trade kept yeah, all yeah, those yeah. guys on the same team. Yeah. If you kept all of those guys on the same team, I don't think that's a good fit. Okay. OG, RJ, Brunson. Randall. Randall. I don't think that's the construction of that group to me doesn't fit. However, if you took RJ and you moved him on and then you replaced that with OG, okay, I could see that. I could see that. Okay. Um, but I, I don't, I, I don't anticipate that other trade happening. Maybe it does. Um, it's not one I would consider. However, if they were going about a retool, up there in Toronto, and you're able to get Archie Baird along with Scotty Barnes. Now you're cooking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now mm-hmm. you're cooking. Now, mm-hmm. now you're now you're cooking. Now to me, now I'm excited about. Okay, now I got draft picks back. I got different things for Siakam, Van Fleet. Now you're saying I'm going to build around a team where defensively I should be, I should be above average. Two players, two wing players who have nice size, athleticism. They play, both of them play on both sides of the basketball. Maybe they're not the best offensive players. Maybe they're not the best defensive players. However, they are better than average with size, and I can build around that. Now, that to me gets me excited. You know, getting draft picks back and having Scotty Barnes and all that. Okay, I I don't know about that one, but Mm -hmm. 
Well, if I could get draft picks back and get those two and be and be in the Wimbenyama sweepstakes, mm-hmm. now you're saying great move. Now that to me is a great move. <laughs> that's that's like that's the Masai. I would be like, wow, how did you how did you pull that off? So that to me gets me really excited. But, you know, it's the NBA, and I guess anything is possible. But, you know, I, I don't know the full details. But just going by what you said, I would try to get R.J. Barrett back because I think he's a terrific player. He's already signed, and I think that would be a good move for them, in particular now that we know the collective bargaining agreement is up. Mm-hmm. The salary cap will move up, and you have a really nice player signed at a really, to me, a great contract moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, the deal that excites me most is the Memphis Grizzlies trying to acquire OG Ananobi because they've got some picks. They've got some young players. Maybe they don't have a player of RJ Barrett's caliber to send in return. But if Toronto are going to go into a full rebuild, getting OG on the Memphis Grizzlies would be, for me, maybe that would make them favorites to win the Western Conference because you've got then a lineup of Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, OG, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams or you know, Brandon Clark, or you could even go small wall and have Dylan Brooks in there. Defensively, that unit, we mentioned it briefly yesterday. That's very scary. The other, the other ones that we could consider is the Indiana Pacers. If you put OG on the team with Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner, I like that a lot. And then the OKC Thunder, put OG in there with Shaggy Alexander, because you know the OKC Thunder have got so many draft picks. They've got to do something with those draft picks at some point. I would like that. I think OG can still improve from where he is as a player. But I believe, you know, wherever OG goes could trigger a series of moves. As we said, Fred Van Fleet could then be moved. Pascal Siakam could then be moved. Gary Trent Jr. could then be moved and start a new direction for the Toronto Raptors. So there's a lot of teams in the mix. There's a lot of trades that are going down. But in the midst of all those trades going down, there's another team, the Denver Nuggets, who have put Bones Highland on the trade block, apparently, because they think they're going to struggle to pay him and he wants to have a bigger role on a different team. So they're in the mix of trying to trade Bones Highland, a very promising young player who could one day become very special. But right now, with Jokic playing the way he's playing, they've got to make a move to kind of contend and go even deep into all in now. Because they've got Jamal Murray at the point guard. Nikola Jokic is basically a seven-foot point guard. And they've got Bruce Brown, who can come in off the bench, provide defense, and he's pretty comfortable at that one spot as well. So I want to transition now to talking about Jokic. Because this is one thing we forgot to talk about yesterday when we were catching up on what we missed. We talked about the Celtics and the Lakers, which was a big matchup. But the big matchup that we haven't talked about was Jokic versus Embiid, the Sixers versus the Nuggets. Did you watch that game? Mo, I wouldn't be a basketball fan if I did watch it. It was must-see TV. Now, that game's a big game because I believe in the MVP race, there were some statement games that, for example, last year when these two teams matched up, the Sixers were up and then the Nuggets came back to win that game. Whereas this year, Embiid went out, he dropped 40-something points and absolutely dominated. Jokic really struggled when... Your coach of the year pick, Doc Rivers, made the adjustment of putting PJ Tucker on him in the second half. And Jokic, Mm. for some reason, really struggled against a much smaller defender. So I want to know now, in the MVP race, how much weight does that game, that matchup, because they only see each other twice a year, being in different conferences, how much weight in that matchup 
does that have on the MVP conversation? Could that swing the balance into the favor of Embiid, who came out and put on a simply dominant performance in that game? I think the key word, Bo, in, in all of this is performance. You know, we talk about the influence of the media and, and all of that. In the end, it's about what you do when you're out there on the court. Joel Embiid had a monster game. Mm-hmm. You know, Doc Rivers did something that, frankly, you just don't see often. We are going to double-team Joel Embiid and force him Jokic. to operate. Or we're going to force Jokic, that's correct, to do something that he's not accustomed to the scene. He's going to get doubled with another big. Now, why is that important? Jokic is used to being doubled from smaller guys. So when a guard comes to double him, he doesn't even see the double team. That's why he's able to pass it like he's able to do. Yep. Because if a six foot four or five guy comes to double team him, he just looks over the top of them. When you come double him with another seven footer, now his vision for the first time has been obstructed. And that to me is what makes coaching, especially at the NBA level, far superior. Because these guys understand the details. The fact that he has a power forward in PJ Tucker, who's capable, who's capable of holding him up on the box. And then you come to double team him from one of Jokic's favorite operating areas, which is on the low post. Suddenly now Jokic doesn't want that double team mm-hmm. and he has to go to the perimeter advantage PJ Tucker. I mean, that to me was the whole game. You just took away. You don't stop a great player, but you you force those great players to make a decision. So the decision by Jokic was to go away from the basket, favor Philly. He wasn't able to. You took away something from him. You just took away one thing from him, and that to me was the difference of the game. Now, offensively, Doc Rivers said, okay, We know Jokic is not a rim protector. Joel, every time we set a screen, guards come off and look to score, which is going to force Jokic to be in what we consider mode, drop coverage. Drop coverage means you're going to protect the basket. Yep. And what did Joel do? He never never did a screen and roll. He screened and popped. And when the jumper was going for the big fella that night from it's the a, league, it's from a the long night it's a long night when that it was a long going. night so <laughs> for me the chess match with the coaches with those great talents advantage that night was Joel Envy it was just it was phenomenal like I loved every minute of it I enjoyed it it wasn't so much that Joel dominated him when you look at the stats you would say, yes, he did that night. However, it was the advantage. Now, the fun thing would be is to see how Coach Malone and Jokic would counter that the next game. Because you can't have Jokic not participate on the box. You can't just allow Joel Embiid to just shoot uncontested jump shots. That would be a fun seven-game series. I would love it. Because Jokic is good enough to counter that somehow. I don't know how he would or how they would, but that would be fun to watch. So Joel Embiid was fabulous. He played a terrific game. Great 
game plan. You took away something from a great player to me, which that's all you can do when you play against a great player. It's not like they stopped him. They just took something away. They took away his ability to operate from one of his favorite places because he wasn't able to pass from the post. He wasn't able to score from the post. He wasn't able to create an advantage for his team from the post. And Philadelphia, they were they were excellent that game. They really were, in, in particular, Joel Embiid. So if I had to put you on the spot right now and say who is the MVP currently, would it be one of well, those two I, guys? I, 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 well, I, I think Giannis is back. Well, he hasn't gone anywhere. I think Jason Tatum is there. I think uh, I think Luca is there. Okay, and I think Joel Embiid is there. And, you know, Jokic. and I think Jokic, what he's done. And I think Jokic is there. I think it's a I think so it's a five man race. It's, really it's interesting because you know Jokic is averaging a triple double right now. That's 25 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists a game. Number one seed in the Western Conference. He's won the last two MVPs and pretty much having a better season this year than he did even last year. But then you have Embiid on the other hand, who obviously has the advantage from that matchup, you know, and he's at leading the league in scoring with 34 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, uh, a couple blocks and a steal. And he's, you know, got the Philadelphia 76ers over the past month or so, one of the best teams in the NBA. They're surging up the East. I think they're in second or third place. And then Jason Tatum, obviously leading the Celtics. He's on what, 31 Nine and four with a block and a steal as well to go with him. <laughs> right. Then you've got Doncic, who's 33 points, nine rebounds. Like the numbers are crazy for everyone this season. Nine rebounds, eight assists. But for me, Doncic is Mavericks just aren't winning enough games at this point. Um, we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole. But then Giannis is the one that intrigues me because we say it all the time that everyone's just got so used to Giannis, and he's averaging a career high in points, 31.8, third in the league right now. 12.2 rebounds, second in the league, five assists. And Chris Middleton's missed basically almost like what half the season. Mm-hmm. He 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 you know he's missed three quarters of the season. He's played 12 games. Drew Holiday has missed a bunch of time, and yet the Bucks are comfortably in second place, just behind the Boston Celtics. So it is a five-man race. If we had to drop it down to a four-man race, I think Doncic might be the first one to drop out purely because of his team. But then between those four guys, there's not much separation. So what do you think will be the separating factor when it comes down to picking? If you have to pick one, what's the separating factor? Well, I, I think I, I think it's going to come down to performance. Like it always should. I don't think there's TV. We, but they're all putting up I'm great performances. Just, they're all putting up great uh, numbers and they're all on winning they're, teams. They're, everyone's putting up great numbers. Everyone's putting up great numbers. You know, when I look at the game and the way it's played today, when I look at the way the game is played, right? We play a game that's much faster. So these guys are going to get more opportunities, right? We're shooting the ball earlier in the shot clock. We get an offensive rebound. It doesn't reset back to 24 seconds. It resets 14. back to 14 seconds. So these numbers should be better. Why? Because they're playing faster and they're getting more opportunities. So what was once 22 points or 23 points a game, which, you know, just 15, 20 years ago was numbers. These guys with 15 extra possessions and a faster pace. And everyone is, for the most part, the best players have a green light to shoot from three. So, Mo, you add three more shots to that, okay? That's nine points. They're getting to the free throw line the way the game is called. The offensive player has 
a significant advantage as compared to 10, 15 years ago. A significant advantage the offensive players have. So these numbers, if you're comparing them, you're impressed. As I watch the game and for what it is, I'm going, okay, 30-something points is probably what a good player should average in today's game. Why? Because they're shooting threes. They're getting more opportunities. They have a, a huge advantage. You can't impede the progress. You can't hand check them. You, you, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you watch Luca and these guys. These guys are flopping all over the place on the on the offensive end. That's just the way the game is. So I think the bottom line is, who's going to finish up the strongest? Everyone's everyone. This is a race, and I don't think anyone is more than a step ahead of the other. You know, you you you, you look at you look at Jokic. Okay, those are impressive impressive numbers. For this guy to keep doing this year in and year out now, you're going, and he's arguably getting better. Yep. Giannis, what are you going to say? This guy is unbelievable. Jason Tatum, wow. Like, the guy goes to the NBA Finals last year, comes back this year, and his team is arguably better. And we know, we've talked about here and other places about what happened there, what transpired there over the summer with their coaching chain, so forth yep. and so on. So give him credit. Joel Embiid, he finishes second last year. Clearly, he's in the race. And then Luca, like, wow, this guy had a, I just watched him the other night. He had a 53 point effort. He has got a 60 something effort. He's, I mean, this guy is just rewriting the record books down there in Dallas. So all of these guys are playing impressive. However, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So let's see how these guys are going going to finish that to me will be the determining factor on who should be named mvp we can talk about numbers because that's what we've always talked about however because this is a different game right everyone talks about the game is different the game has evolved well if the game has evolved that means we have to look at it differently i've made the conscious decision to say i'm not looking at the game the way i used to i'm looking at it from this new lens and the new lens says Okay, these are great players. They're putting up massive numbers. But those numbers don't equate to the same way that we watch the game. If a guy was averaging 33 points a game 15 years ago, you really would have my attention. I would be like, wow, well, that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. However, as I watch the game today, guys just come up, dribble up to the three-point line, and shoot it. And that's like, <laughs> hey, whoa. I watch guys shoot from the logo and no one says a word. I watch one pass shot. I watch step back, double step backs for threes. I watch five to six, seven possessions where every shot is a three and no one says anything. So it's a different game. So I'm not easily impressed now, you know, by Bo. I, I watch after timeout plays. Yes, and after timeout play, sideline out of plays is a is a fadeaway three, and that's like, oh, that's a good shot. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> oh, it's a okay. <laughs> so I can't get wrapped up in all of this, you know. There used to be where guards would come and do a drag, and the guy was screen and he roll. I watched Brooke Lopez the other day drag, 
with Drew Holiday, and he steps back and shoots a one-legged three. And it's like, that's a good shot for Brooke Lopez. And I'm like, Splash okay. Mountain. Okay. <laughs> Let's, that's the way the game is played. So I'm saying all of this to say, okay, these, these are really good players without question. Those are great players, all of them. However, with this now comes a new way to look at the game. 30 points, but you know, is, is really in that era, probably, like I said, 20 to 25 points. And the way they play, you should be able to get 30 points. Mo, you should be able to get 30 points with the way the game is called, with the way they play offense today. You really should. I mean, Mo, you can't touch these guys. You can literally not touch an offensive player, okay? And so, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm not gonna focus on the numbers. I'm gonna focus in on who wins the game. Okay. And that to me is, is one of the criteria. I think there are a lot of criteria, leadership, durability, availability, and all of those things should come into play. But I think performance and how your team performs along with your individual stats is one of the main things that I will continue to look for as we get down and, and we start to figure out who's gonna be the MVP.